Hey everybody, little Scotty here, um, recording my first podcast called, What Do I Have to Do? Drive a Nail Through Your Head? The reason I say it like that is because this is something my father said to me when he was giving me driving lessons. This podcast is going to be about statements like that given by your parents to you when you were young. Um... I'll give you an idea how old I am. I am in my late 50s. So I grew up in the generation where children were supposed to be seen, not heard. And uh, also, I think uh, parents had an interesting way of actually raising their children, which was uh, sometimes beat their ass into submission. Or... um, screaming at the top of their lungs until they got the hint. Now, for me, I always found this to be rather disheartening. I'm what they call an empath, so I kind of absorb everybody else's feelings, which is a little bit daunting when you uh, have that diagnosis, so to speak. It's not really a diagnosis. It's just an observation. But anyhow, um, To get back to the statement, the actual name of the podcast, um, I'll tell you what happened. It's pretty hilarious, so I I hope you like it. So picture this. I want you to get your mind out and put together this picture in your head, which is my dad sitting in the passenger seat. He is six foot four, 260 pounds which would explain why he could yell as loud as he want, and I couldn't do a damn thing about it. And here I am at the age of 15 at about uh, maybe six foot and uh, roughly 210, 220 pounds, um, more than just a chubby kid, so to speak. Um, Anyhow, we are sitting in a Volkswagen Bug a 1969 Volkswagen Bug, to be exact. So we're talking one of the old ones. Um, The floor panel was rusting out, which was always nice to try to get in this car without putting your foot through the floor. And um, sitting there next to my dad where our shoulders are pretty much touching. Now, mind you, of course, this would be a four-speed transmission, um, I believe, maybe a five-speed. I could be wrong. Um, And... uh, My dad wanted me to learn how to drive a stick shift, and uh, stick shifts were pretty common then, so I went with it. Now, little did my dad know that I had driven cars quite often because I had a lot of older friends who had cars, and they would let me drive them, and, you know, especially when they were way too drunk to drive home, and, uh, you know, I got the got the hang of it pretty quickly. Most of them were automatic transmissions, but there was lots of them that were manual. And I had driven a couple of tractors on farms and stuff like that. So I knew how to drive a four-speed. It wasn't a big deal, but he thought it was. So anyhow, uh, so I put the car in reverse and I am beginning to back down the driveway. And he says, wait a minute, turn around and look where you're going, and you know, because I was just using the mirrors, which most people do, and I was going down the driveway and uh, backing up, and 
you know, things were going okay, no problems. And I get down to the bottom where the curb is. And he says, no, you're supposed to look both ways. I'm like, okay, dad, got it. Got it. You're right. I look both ways and pull out and start driving, get out of our neighborhood onto the main road and uh, then pull into or pull on to um, where I live. It's where I used to live. It's a four lane highway called Cicero Avenue, which is in the Chicago area. I should tell you that's where I'm from. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, We pull out into this road and uh, now mind you, this road is, got quite a few stoplights and uh, we come up upon the first one and I'm going to make a left turn and the light turns yellow. And what do I do? I floor it to make it the light, you know, because I wanted to get through the yellow light and make it through. And my dad looks at me and says, when it's yellow, you stop. Do you understand? Yes, sir. I understand. But in the meantime, in my head, I'm thinking, I have seen my dad blow through so many yellow lights. It's incredible. Um, It was like a hobby for him. It was amazing. He could blow through a yellow light, throw every kid in the car way to the right or way to the left and get through the light. Um, Mind you, I had five or four brothers and sisters and me and my mom in the front seat. So everybody flew to one side or the other. It was rather entertaining. Somebody's touching me. Somebody's touching me. You know how that goes in the back seat with uh, usually four kids in the back seat. And of course, the safety measure, which is the baby of the family on my mom's lap. Um, no seat belts. Um, they had lap belts, but nobody really used them. And, uh, you know, he would make these turns at high speed. So I don't understand why I couldn't make one of these turns at high speed at blow the yellow light. So I just went, okay, dad, I'll, I'll try to remember that. And of course I drive along and uh, get up to the next main road and uh, one of the bigger roads. And of course I'm going to make a left turn. And what happens? The light turns yellow. And what happens to me? Yes, you're right. I floor it. And I get through the yellow light and guess what happens? Pop turns to me and starts yelling. How many times are I going to tell you this? You have to stop at a yellow light. There is no way you should be blowing through these yellow lights. I said, Dad, I, I, I thought that's what we did. You do it all the time. And he said, I do not. I, I stop at yellow lights. I said, okay, sure. I didn't say that because it would have meant uh, probably a good slap. So I said, uh, all right, I'll, I'll try again. I'm just so used to seeing it done this way. So. Uh, Here I go trying it again. And uh, the next light we come to, what do I do? Right through the yellow light. Now this time, he doesn't say anything right away. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I got away with it, you know. And he uh, finally turns to me and says, what do I have to do? Drive a nail through your head? Now, under my breath, I am laughing so hard that I can barely keep a straight face. It's just so ridiculous that he actually said this to me. And uh, I said, well, that that would be kind of painful, Dad. I don't think I want that. So uh, I'll try again, you know, and eventually I'm going to get this because you're really making it uncomfortable for me to drive. Well, I'm not trying to make it uncomfortable. I'm just trying to make you drive correctly so you don't get tickets. All right, Dad. 
So finally, next light, turning yellow from a distance. I know I'm going to have to stop, so I stop. And he goes, see, was that that hard? Anyhow, one of the wonderful stories from my childhood. And uh, what I'm looking for, and I'm going to put on a message board um, here so that you guys can send a message to me. Um, I'm looking for stories like that. You know, maybe an interesting interlude between your parents and you and, uh, or maybe your mother and you, maybe your father and you. I don't want to hear about beatings or, you know, anything like that. You know, my parents were very into spanking, you know, when we were younger. And I did have a pretty good fight at the age of 16 with my father that involved, well, I won't go into it. It was pretty nasty. So anyhow, um, he's been gone for eight years and it was really funny. He he went from being a Marine Corps dad, which is what he was, out of the Marines and, uh, you know, saved some money, bought a house, got married at the age of 30 to my mother, who was 19. No, it was not a shotgun wedding. Um, they got married January 7th. I was born December 4th. So you can do the uh, addition there. It worked out pretty well. Anyhow, um I think that leaving that message board open will help you guys kind of talk through some of these things and we can read them on the air and, you know, I won't give them your name out or your parents' name or anything of that nature, obviously. Make sure you leave all that stuff off because it'll make it easier for me. Um, remember that um, also one of the things we're going to cover, as it says on the you know, the uh, picture uh, for the podcast is raising children. Um, now, let me go into a history of that real quick. Um, I don't have a, you know, I used to be very bitter about my parents raising me the way they did and the things that they even did after I got married, you know, demanding that we come over for dinner on Sundays and things like that. And, you know, finally I got tired of listening to it and I just, you know, kind of fought back and told them we'll do what we want to do. And that's it, you know, and um, it ended up being one of those things where my parents were just, I think the best way to say it is they were hovering over me like a helicopter parent, you know, what they call today a helicopter parent. And, you know, I, I think they literally didn't want to lose me from the family. They just wanted me involved in every step that the family took. And, you know, I had my own family now. It was me and my wife, and we didn't wait long to try to start having a baby. And, um, you know, I finally came down and said, you know what, Mom, I'm tired of this. We're going to do what we want to do. We're a couple now. We're married. You know, we're a family of our own. I'm not going to kowtow to everything you say. And, then my sister called me and said, your mother's in tears and she's in. And finally I threw the phone across the room and that was it. That pretty much took care of the problem. So um, needless to say, everybody has stories like that. And everybody has ways that their parents raised them. You know, like I said, my dad being the Marine Corps dad and thinking that we were all recruits and he was the drill sergeant. Um I'm sure there are Marine Corps dads out there that are completely different and realize that that's the worst thing you can do is raise your children like they're in the Marines with you. Um, 
But my dad actually softened when um, when we got older. And uh, I started having kids about, well, actually, I didn't do any of it other than the fun part. Um, my wife started having kids about three years after we got married. And we had our first daughter, whose name is Katie. And I'm just going to give you the first names. But um, when Katie came along, I watched this Marine Corps dad turn into a bowl of mush. He just, he couldn't get enough of her. He held her. He rocked her to sleep. He babysat her. I mean, it was amazing watching this man who was just a complete and total drill sergeant, so to speak, turn into this soft, loving human being who couldn't get enough of these little babies. And he went on and on and just, he would ask really nicely if he could come over and see the baby. So, you know, once every weekend they would come over and see Katie. And um, it was just funny as hell to watch him turn into a bowl of mush. And, you know, when Katie got a little older, he was, you know, not afraid to, even though he was physically a mess, he had severe back problems. He would try to chase her a little bit and, you know, he'd always try to catch her and pick her up and turn her upside down. And she thought that was the coolest thing. And, you know, he still was a big guy and strong. So, um, but it was amazing to watch this happen. And uh, I will go into what happened with these children as time goes on, but um, I want to explain a little bit more about my dad and my mom. I should say something about my mom. My mom was a yeller, and uh, my mom's uh, weapon of choice was a wooden spoon um, or her slipper. And uh, she was like Clint Eastwood with a slipper. It was amazing. She could pull her slipper off and whack you in the butt about four times, put the slipper back on, and continue doing the dishes like nothing happened. It was incredible. I mean, I seen it happen, and I had it happen to me. No matter what, it was, I was in awe of the woman. She could really pull it off. So anyhow, um, that was her way of disciplining. And uh, she would yell and she would say, wait till your father comes home, like all the episodes you'd hear on TV. But uh, amazing, just amazing to watch and amazing to hear her, her go on and on and on about these things. And uh, she just did it. She just went through it. And uh, I admired her because... You did, I didn't find out till much later when I went into the medical field and studied a lot and had some dealings with depression on my own. You know, I'm, I'm a big boy. I can say that. I'm not afraid. Um, I realized that she had pretty significant mental illness. And uh, it was more than uh, just depression. I think it was manic depression. So... Um, she held up pretty well for the disease she had. So mom, hats off to you. She passed away about five years ago. Um, maybe, no, seven and a half years ago. Wow, it doesn't seem that long. Um, I'll tell you that story real quick. Uh, my dad had passed. Um, he had an autoimmune disease and passed away from it. And uh, 
It had been six months since he had passed away, and she really missed him, even though I saw them fight more than I think I had ever seen, like, fighting on any TV show. Um, and uh, she went to his gravesite. She had made lemon bars in the morning, and she had turned off the oven because they were done. And she went to his gravesite, and she had written a beautiful note about how much she missed him and how much she loved him. It was January 7th, which was his birthday and their anniversary. They got married on his birthday. Now, she left the note. She got back in the car and drove about maybe half a mile, not even that far, a quarter mile, I don't know, half a mile, and uh, proceeded to drive the car right into a ditch. We're assuming she had a pulmonary embolism because she had terrible problems with the veins in her legs. Um, she could have, I mean, her coronary arteries, I watched them do a cath on her. She looked like a 21-year-old, so I don't think it was a heart attack. But she could have had an asthma attack because she did have some problems with that. So we don't know exactly what killed her, but she died in the cemetery that my dad was buried in. So just one of those stories that got to throw out there because it does show when two people are attached six months is enough before you want to be back together with them. So that's exactly what happened. Anyways, I had to tell that story because it is a beautiful one. Um, my dad, again, turned into a bowl of mush. Three years after we had Katie, we had my son, John. And uh, now we got a boy and a girl. Now, normally that would be enough for people, you wimps. But... Uh, for me and my wife, Eileen, that was not even the end. Um, three years after John was born, no, 18 months after John was born, we got a surprise, and it was my son, Casey, who we call Case now. Um, Casey was one of those boys that was the complete opposite from John. Now, I remember this saying that my mom used to use, and I'm sure if you're a guy or a girl that you're going to get this at some point in time in your life, or you had it at some point in time in your life, which is, I hope someday you get a baby that grows up just like you. Well, John was that baby. John would come running full speed around the kitchen, into the living room, and jump knees first onto my chest, <laughs> knocking the wind out of me sometimes. No warning, just full speed, and there he is. And I pick him up and flip him around and toss him on the couch and just, John and I had a lot of fun. And, and when John and Casey got a little bit older, we started watching wrestling. And then it was full out WrestleMania most of the time when I was home and we just had a blast. So, but Casey was this kind of kid where he just sat there and watched his two older siblings run around and he would just sit there and be amazed at what they were doing. And then eventually he got to the point where he really wanted to do it. And he was trying so hard to walk and, you know, it was a little bit more effort for him. And, you know, he got going by the time he was a year old and, oh my God, when he started to run, it was hilarious. I mean, he was this little bony, skinny kid. And just when he ran, it was just to watch it was a laugh a minute. And the three of them would chase each other through the house and it was just, it was just wonderful. And having three kids and having two kids, I know you're outnumbered. Once you're outnumbered, 
you might as well have a fourth one, which is what we did. So the fourth one is named Dana, and she is uh, just a wonderful child. She ended up being a great kid. Um, she was a little nervous and very scared of things, but uh, and she was very high maintenance when she was a baby. She was always on my wife's hip because um, she didn't want to do anything on her own, so she wanted to be carried around all the time. But boy, once she could walk, she started walking at seven months, and then at 10 months, I think it was, she started running. So this kid had big plans, and she would chase her brothers and sisters around, and they would play with her, and they thought she was the cutest thing, you know, being the baby of the family, and she got spoiled rotten by Papa and, you know, by grandma and just was so funny. By this time, my dad had already had time where he was watching my boys um, while we went to work. Katie was in school and uh, Dana was a baby and went to a daycare center because it was too much for my dad, but he would watch the boys. And uh, there were so many times where I came home and those two boys were asleep on his lap and the smile on his face was incredible. I just, it just wasn't the same guy. I don't know what happened. It just, it just wasn't the same guy. I, I mean, for, to this day, I don't know what happened in his brain that shut off all that Marine Corps talk and just changed everything. But I used to get the biggest smile on my face when I would see something like that. And, you know, he'd make a mac and cheese or his homemade favorite, you know, he got him to like fried bologna, which I was amazed because I couldn't stand fried bologna. But he'd do everything for him and just, you know, play games. And it was just amazing. But having four kids, you need to know about what you're doing in the way of raising them. And I read a couple books and Eileen read a couple books. And we also remembered our own childhood, which I think is probably the most important thing you can do is remember your own childhood and what you liked and what you disliked and how you thought this could have been handled so much easier if they had just done this, you know? Um, so that's what I tried to remember. I tried to remember exactly what it was like to be raised as a child and how there were certain things that I just couldn't stand, like the the screaming in the house, you know, either between my sister, who was the only one who really stood up to my dad, um, and my parents, and, you know, one of my parents screaming at me or screaming at one of the other kids. And I said, that was never going to happen in our house. And uh, it never did. There was never any real screaming. I mean, if a kid got out of line, there was easy ways to make it stop, you know, take away, uh, you know, their Nintendo for the boys was the best way in the world. I would just take the wireless controllers and put them in a desk drawer or hide them in the closet and say, you, not, you can't play Nintendo for the next four days. And I stuck to my guns. I didn't, I didn't, you know, say, okay, you're crying about it. I'll give it to you, you know. They had a punishment, and that was it. Um, it's the same thing with Katie. You know, she was, I don't know, I never had to punish Katie. She was one of those kids that just got great grades and did everything right. It was just scary. I don't, sometimes I wonder who her father really is. Um, because, boy, I, I never had 
good grades. I never had those kind of things going on. But, you know, the, the boys sometimes needed a little help, a little nudging to be good kids. And, uh, but I never raised my voice. I never had to. I could just look at them and they knew they did something wrong. And my wife sometimes would have to raise her voice a little bit, but never screaming. And uh, she was able to stay home with the kids because I had started my own business and I was doing pretty well. And uh, she was able to stay home with them until Dana went to kindergarten. So after a while, it was nice to have her home because, you know, I was going out of town a lot and to have her home, um, I knew that these kids were going to be raised very well. She's, I don't know, she's the biggest sweetheart in the world. It's just ridiculous how great she is with children. I, I just love it. Now, to get back to the four kids, um, I had uh, so much luck raising them, even when they were teenagers. I'm sure they got away with stuff I don't know about. Um, I found out later some of the things, but I don't know. They were no worse than, in fact, they were nowhere near as bad as I did. So I was still proud of them, but I never had to go to the police station to pick one of them up. I never had any problems with picking them up from school because they got suspended. I never had any of that problem at all. They pretty much all got good grades. Sometimes they struggled a little bit, but they were pretty good. And they all got not full scholarships, but partial scholarships to colleges. And they did pretty well. Um, Katie is a first grade teacher. Um, that's really what she was meant to do. So it worked out fine. She would teach her dolls all the time. Um, John ended up being an ER nurse for pediatrics, which I worked in pediatrics for 33 years and you have to be a certain special kind of person to work in pediatrics, especially if you see some of the bad things that happen in children. I worked on uh, kids that had heart defects. So occasionally you would lose one of those children and it was heartbreaking because these kids would come in and out for echocardiograms, which is what I did all the time. And, you know, you get used to the child and you know what they liked and you knew how to play with them. Um, but anyhow, um, almost knocked over my coffee. Uh, it was amazing to watch him get involved in nursing. And first he worked the ER, just a plain ER at a big, huge hospital here in the Chicago area. It's called Loyola University. And he worked their ER and they got, you know, flights in from all over the place to work on kids and work on adults. And he was a real go-getter and he still is. Um, my son, Casey, uh, ended up being a, well, he's, he's got to take the test yet, but he's going to be a CPA right now. He's full-time accountant and, uh, he got a master's degree. He's just fantastic. Um, Katie's got a master's degree too. John will probably go back and get one too. And then there's my little Dana who was so scared of everything. It was ridiculous. When she heard that her own mother had did drugs at some point in time in her life, um, not terrible amounts of drugs, but just the stuff we did when we were, you know, in the seventies and the you know late seventies, people smoked marijuana. It was part of the deal. 
When she found out about that, she freaked out. I mean, it was just amazing how much she freaked out. What does she do now for a living? She is a drug and alcohol counselor. <laughs> now she's actually working on gambling, too, for these people. And, you know, she hears stories that would make her completely nuts before. But she hears them all the time, and it's amazing. And she works with them, and I'm so proud of all four of these kids that it's amazing. But I know that they weren't perfect and I was not a perfect person as a parent. You know, no one is. But I want to hear your story. I want to get some messages from you, and we'll talk about things and try to figure out some of the things that go on that drive us crazy and that we need to work on and maybe some of the problems that you're having as a parent and how to handle a certain problem, you know, um, an issue and you know maybe I can help. I'm willing to help. That's why I started this podcast. So if I can help you, I'm very happy to do so. So anyway, getting near the end of my allotted time here on the fantastic anchor. Um, it's really something an anchor in the sense of. Uh, the software I use. It's so easy to use. It's so user-friendly. I can't believe that someone put this together and made a podcast so easy to do that a 58-year-old who can barely, you know, use a computer sometimes can do it. So hats off to them. They do a great job. I'm really happy with it. So anyways, I just want to say goodbye and please send the messages in. I'm going to try to do this maybe a couple times a week. I hope you listen and I hope you enjoy it. I'll try to think of the next funny thing and here we go. All right. So have a good day.